you must be at Lakeland. Good morning. To be continued. Usually this appears on the screen right at the moment when everything is at its worst. And when you might expect to see the end, and it would be a bad end, instead you get to be continued. Some of you wonder if you're uh, trapped in a bad cliffhanger moment this morning, particularly maybe just right now. (laughs) Because you're asking yourself this morning, how on earth did I end up at church? Such as it is. For some of you, uh, this is just where your family decided you were going to meet before y'all went out to lunch because you have this really religious sister-in-law. So here you are. For others of you, uh, this is something your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend insists that this one day of year you will attend. So here you are. For others, this is tradition. Um, Whatever else you're going to do on Easter, go to church is one of those things. But one thing is for certain for many of you, church is a hard place to be. It's not something you particularly enjoy, and it's not something that evokes in you any sense of hope or that there's afterward going to be this big to-be-continued flashed across it. But I want to tell you, if you feel that way, you feel exactly as they did on the first Easter morning. The Gospel of Mark recounts it this way. Jesus was crucified on Friday, and chapter 16 begins here. Saturday evening. When the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? They're asking themselves also on Easter morning, How did we end up here? They had seen from Jesus what they were sure were miracles from God. And they had heard him teach about a new kingdom. And they had seen in Jesus a new picture of God. And now somehow, very abruptly on Sunday morning, it's all over. And they're just taking part in funeral practices. And they're walking to the tomb. And then in those days, they buried people in that part of the world in caves. And they put a big rock over the entrance to keep animals away from the body. And as they're walking, they remember, oh yeah, there's going to be that big rock. Who's going to move that for us? Clearly, they're not expecting anything out of the ordinary to be happening now. And they're not expecting any sort of to be continued on this story. But then comes verse 4. But as they arrived, they looked up and saw the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look. This is where they laid his body. The service started this morning several times with us proclaiming, He is risen, He is risen indeed. Some of you are astonished that so many people still believe that. Many of you are among the people that still believe that. What ought to astonish all of us is that that belief makes so very little difference. 
According to these scriptures, death has just been undone and the king of the universe has been proclaimed and we who believe in that awesome miracle still bicker with one another about religion and politics? We who believe the very laws of life and death have been rewritten still squabble and fight with our own family? We still take part in these little sins and addictions. In light of this, and we still pray so very seldomly, and we may worship God even less, we say we're too busy. Our lives are too busy for those things. Too busy for a miracle of this magnitude? Ah, now this is what you thought church was going to feel like. Now we're settling in. The pastor's going to make me feel guilty. (laughs) Going to make me feel guilty for not praying more, not worshiping more, not being better at faith. This is what I expected. Except that right here in the story, something unexpected happens. Maybe even more unexpected than the resurrection itself. Verse 7, the angel speaks and says, Now, Go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you before he died. Go tell the disciples, including Peter. If you remember Peter from Friday, at the time Jesus was arrested, he ran off. In fact, he denied he even knew who Jesus was. He promised on Thursday he would not do that. He said, If all the others run away, I will never run away. I will die before I'll run away. And come Friday, a little slave girl comes up and says, aren't you a follower of Jesus? Oh, no, I don't even know who that guy is. He completely caves to save his own skin. Now, it's one thing when you and I are bad at faith. We didn't actually see Jesus. It's a big faith for us. Peter saw Jesus. Peter walked with Jesus. Peter walked on the water with Jesus. In the face of a little house servant, he buckles. He completely caves to fear. But God doesn't hold it against him. The first thing the angel says after proclaiming the resurrection is, now, go tell the disciples, including Peter, that I'm going ahead of you to meet in Galilee where we said before this whole thing went down. It's like God already knows faith is hard for us. The world we live in with school shootings and hurricanes and wars, it makes it hard for us to believe that death is dead and Jesus is king. And our lives are busy, actually. They are horribly, horribly busy lives. I have a second grader and a fourth grader. And I was reflecting a few weeks ago on the few things I'm supposed to do between 3.30 when they get home, if I were home, and 8 o'clock when they go to bed, just to be a good parent. Evidently, all I'm supposed to do each and every night 
Assign both of their notebooks and make sure every assignment listed in that notebook has been completed. I'm supposed to read with each child at a book at an age-appropriate level for 20 minutes. I'm supposed to do spelling with each child for about 10 minutes. I also need to do math with them each for 20 minutes. Also, kids need to exercise these days. 20 minutes, please. Uh, also, I need to feed them dinner because that's really important. Showers are a good idea. Chores are good to teach them a work ethic. And what work ethic? And what about, you know, quality time? Let's play a board game together. And we're Christian children, so let's pray. And we also need to read the Bible. And who has time to do all this? stuff. What if I'd had three? (laughs) And then there's the religious stuff we're all supposed to do. I don't know what that would be, but let's just stick to the real simple stuff, stuff everyone agree with. Christians ought to help the poor. Good. Help the poor. But don't give them cash. They'll just buy booze with it. And don't adopt a family at Christmas. That shames the parents. Don't send relief supplies directly to Africa during war. The warlords steal it and feed the child armies. It just keeps it going. And be kind to, be kind to immigrants. But not too kind. They steal our jobs. Who? Even doing good is complicated. This is hard. So then pastors like me come on Easter morning and make smart-like remarks to make you feel guilty for not being better at your faith, as if being good at faith is so easy. It's not easy. And God would never do that to you. We've been talking about the new picture of God that Jesus creates for us, and maybe we see a glimpse of it in this story, the most surprising new picture of God at all that God wouldn't hold it against you, that you haven't been better at faith. That's hard for me to say it as a pastor who one of my roles is to get people moving and doing stuff, but then to say, well, God doesn't matter if you haven't been moving and doing stuff. He doesn't hold it against you like you think he would. But that's the truth. That's what it says in this story and in the pages of the scripture again and again. And this morning it says, if you walked with Jesus, learned directly from him. And if you, in his hour of greatest need, out of fear, denied you even knew who he was, three times, if you did that, on Easter morning, he would still send his messenger to say, go and tell my disciples, including that one, that I have risen and to meet in that place I said we would meet before this all happened. Because God knows that faith is hard for us. That's why he came to be with us in the first place. And that's why he died. And that's why he rose again. And that's why the first thing his angel says is, go and tell the disciples, including Peter, that I am risen. And I've gone ahead of you. And then the story ends this way, verse 8. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered. They said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Dum, dum, dum. They fled from the tomb and they said nothing to anyone? This is an interesting cliffhanger ending in Scripture. You can almost see the words, to be continued, rolled right there. This is the interesting thing about Mark. Some scholars believe there used to be more to the gospel of Mark, uh, but it was lost very early in in the writing of, as Mark was being passed around. Other scholars say, no, 
No, it always ended just right there, just like that. Most agree that these verses we find in our Bible, and my Bible has some notes to this effect right here, that verses 9 through 20 were added later to try to help soften up this abrupt cliffhanger ending. We're going to preach it this morning as if it's ending right there in verse 8. They ran away from the tomb, and they didn't tell anyone because they were afraid. Now, they eventually must have told somebody, or we wouldn't know the story. But that day, when they were confronted with the miracle, when they were told, go tell, they didn't. They ran away too scared, because faith is hard for us. And this is especially hilarious in the Gospel of Mark. Because in the Gospel of Mark, every time somebody figures out, you're the Messiah, the first thing Jesus says is, don't tell anyone that. Keep that to yourself. Because they thought, in the Gospel of Mark, the Messiah was this military leader. And so Jesus wants them to wait until they have seen the cross and seen the resurrection and understand the fullness of who the Messiah is before they run around telling everyone that. Okay, so now we've seen the cross, we've seen the resurrection, and now the angel says, go and tell. And everyone runs away and says nothing because they're too afraid. Because faith is hard for us. But we know there's more to this story. Because there's more than just three women in this room. There's two billion of us around the world. And it's 2,000 years later. This story ends with a to be continued. There's more to come. And it's something you're not going to want to miss. And it's going to be something worth seeing. And whatever it is, it's going to be filled with the new picture of God's grace. It's going to be hard for us to follow God into this to be continued life because it was hard for them. But God was with them. And so he's going to be with us. And he's gone ahead of us into the place he told us to meet. It's going to be hard, but so worth it. So now I am going to say that you should be part of the church and you should be more regular in worship, but I'm going to say it for a reason maybe different than what you've heard before. On this Easter Sunday, I'm inviting you into the to be continued life. Well, we want to learn to pray and to worship God together. But we're going to do it with this assumption. We're going to do it filled with grace and assuming that this is hard. This is not easy. So we're not going to pick on each other and browbeat each other because this isn't an easy thing that we're trying to do here all together, taking hold of this to be continued life. But Jesus has gone ahead of us and so we can do it and it'll be worth it. Charlie Marash is a Lakelander. He's been part of the congregation for years. And Charlie has agreed to come and tell his story this morning of what God has been doing, bringing him into his to-be-continued life. So why don't we uh, hear what God has been doing with Charlie. Let's welcome Charlie. My name is Charlie Morash, and this is my story. A few years ago, I left the house dressed for work at the usual time for my commute to the office. Heading to the interstate, however, I went the opposite direction and kept driving. Fortunate that my supervisor approved a personal day after I called in. 
I've been struggling with something I couldn't even put into words. I was tired of people, of obligations, and life. I wondered what it would be like if I headed out of state or maybe to Mexico. Living like a monk was a fantasy that I knew would never happen, but the thought of avoiding my day-to-day -day life made even a monastery appealing. I spent most of that day driving and asking God to fix whatever it was that was wrong with me. Not long after my personal day spent driving around, I explained what I was feeling to my wife, Amy, who supported me unconditionally and said we would do whatever we could to figure out the problem. Our family had attended Lakeland regularly for a couple of years at this point, so it also helped to already be connected with a men's small group that met regularly and added perspective as I shared. Around this time, I asked God to reveal sin within me that had blocked me from connecting with him. I later asked him to remove these sins from my life. He did. Let me explain. Since childhood, I had struggled with lust and related issues that I would never fully understood. Without proper sex ed, kids around the neighborhood and magazines unfortunately became my sources. Warped thinking had influenced my inner thoughts for most of my life. That thinking was exposed one night on a business trip when I considered becoming involved in an appropriate relationship, inappropriate relationship. So reflecting on my life as I prayed to God these years later, the consequences of deeply rooted sins came into focus. I asked God to completely remove lust and inner thought sin from being daily obstacles in my life. As I began submitting the worst of my inner thoughts and feelings to him, I found that God never rejected me. The angry, scary God I thought I knew wasn't there. Instead, when I submitted a thought to him that I knew wasn't originating from him, I felt a kind of loving embrace in the words, no, that's not us. God was big enough to accept the worst of me and at the same time restore my dignity. As we stayed involved at Lakeland, I was drawn to the church's sincerity and the resources it provided members to grow and learn. Out by the coffee bar one Sunday, I bought Ryan Lefevre's autobiography, The Shame of Me. Ryan's story helped convince me to see a therapist where I learned my struggle is depression. I continued to untangle issues from my past and figured out other ways my thinking was getting in the way of life. It probably sounds odd, but being able to slow down enough to sit, enjoy a conversation, or even to sit without TV or music used to seem impossible. But now, sitting quietly has become part of my daily life. I feel like I have a hard time connecting with God, and I continue to struggle with so many things, pride, anger, and others. But in the last few months, I have learned a discipline that has helped me connect. Praying the Psalms seems to bring a direct line of communication to God. I haven't been consistent, but on the days when I do them, my day seems to go better. For the last year, I've been a stay-at-home dad and a freelance writer. The two roles require faith and patience more than any previous career stop. Before the kids get up, I'll pray a few psalms. After they get on the bus, the toddler watches Sesame Street and I do a few more. I clean house a little, make some calls for work, and run errands. The afternoon usually begins with a few more psalms. It's kind of funny, but my life has become a little bit monk-like in the last year. I quietly carry out the day's tasks and at times try to remain in prayer. God changed my life without my ever leaving home. Instead of figuring out what's wrong with me, I spent a portion of the last year trying to discover how, many, how my gifts can be used in God's kingdom. I haven't found many answers yet, but I'm excited to discover what he'll do next in my life. To be continued. We want to come and learn all together how to serve the poor, how to serve those who are forgotten in a way that actually helps. That will be complicated, as we said, but Jesus has gone before us, and we can do that together as a congregation. We want to strengthen our marriages and our families. That will be hard. 
You don't have to raise your hand, a little snicker will do. How many of you had a fight on the way to church this morning? There's a study that says Christian families are most likely to have an argument trying to get everyone rallied together to attend worship on Sunday. But what if you could take your last family fight and instead of having the words the end appear, could be to be continued. That's what we want to come and equip each other for. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we also want to overcome sin and shame together. Jessica Hubbard is a Lakelander. Uh, Jessica and Brad's wedding was the first wedding I ever performed as a pastor. And Jessica uh, has agreed to come and share her story of her to-be-continued life with us. So let's welcome Jessica. My name is Jessica Hubbard, and this is my story. When I first started coming to Lakeland, this was all so foreign to me. And I just jumped into a small group, a small group that just adored coffee, giggling, and books with matching workbooks. I felt different, but I didn't get treated any different. I remember early on, our leader, Crystal, let us know of a conference that was coming here at Lakeland. Everyone was going from our group, so of course that meant me also. Friday night came, and I recall sitting towards the back of the sanctuary, and on the stage was a short southern man with a sense of humor, and he was sharing his stories on stage. And then it happened. He said the magic words that made me scoop up my books and storm out. Codependency. <laughs> Clearly, this book has nothing to do with me, I said to myself. For weeks afterwards, I sat on Fridays with my small group, and they talked about their shame. And all I heard was blah, blah, blah. Yeah, if you don't know me, then let me, let me enlighten you a little. My life has been a hard one, full of trauma, drugs, abuse, and sorrow. And through it all, I have never been ashamed of anything that I've ever had to do. So why would these nice suburban Christian ladies think that I need to read this silly book? So I avoided doing any of this book. And usually I had good excuses. At least I thought I did. When the study was over, I packed the book away and never thought about it again. The time came in my small group when it was my decision on where we would go and serve in the community. A friend of mine suggested Veronica's Voice. It's an organization that helps the sexually exploited. I wanted to ignore her. But before I could figure out anywhere else but there, Crystal asked me where I wanted to serve, and Veronica's voice flew out of my mouth. I couldn't take it back. It was already out there. She replied, that sounds like a great idea. I'll give him a call. She called me back to inform me that we would be serving lunch on Friday. I had never been around another survivor before that day. 
I walked in and sat at the table, and then I suddenly realized that this is what I'd been missing. From that day on, I started going to Veronica's Voice regularly. This was, was the something more, the something more that my soul had been searching for. I felt comfortable, kind of like I was home. One morning, I hurried down to the center early. I had something to give the lady who ran the small groups. I pulled her aside as soon as I walked in, and I handed her a book with a matching workbook. <laughs> yep, you guessed it. Shame off you. I don't even remember how the book got in my hand or why I even brought it. She squealed in delight and rushed over to the copy machine and started kicking out copies of chapter one, and I, I suddenly felt sick. Oh no, what have I done? It is funny how God moves you and you don't even realize it. I had no intention on ever doing this book again, nor the study book. But that day, when I saw the reaction for the first, for the, from the first chapter, I cried. This is what they needed. And most importantly, God moved me to share it. I remember vividly the conversations we had about shame and how we can often misunderstand what it really looks like. As the weeks passed, I shared with them how I insisted that this shame off you thing wasn't my cup of tea. And we laughed at my stubbornness and my unwillingness to receive the message. As the years have passed, I am now an employee of Veronica's Voice. And you can find me toting around a bag of shame off you books everywhere I go. <laughs> including into the jails twice a month. But I always have to remind those ladies uh, not to smuggle the books inside their jumpsuits when they go back to their floor. I love shedding shame with women such as myself. It has been a privilege to have Lakeland, and especially those women from my first small group, you know who you are, to push, pull, stretch, and mold me, even when I didn't want it. It has been an even greater to pleasure to share myself with others. And I know that this is not Thanksgiving, but I want to give thanks on this Easter day for my rebirth. My name is Jessica Hubbard, and that's my story. To be continued. So as a congregation, for those of you who are with us and want to come be with us, this will be our assumption at every step that faith is a hard journey, not an easy one. But the rewards for that journey are more than worth it. No one here is doing this any better than anyone else. No one's got this down and no one's looking down on each other. We have corporate vice presidents who are struggling with control issues. We have ex-prostitutes who are struggling with addiction. We're all in here in church together. We're looking each other in the eye. We're calling each other brother and sister. 
because we know this journey is hard and we need each other, but it's worth it. And none of us wants to miss what God may do next as he brings someone else, or maybe us, our next to-be-continued moment. And some of you have been here in this church for years, and you've been in hiding. Some of you aren't sure you believe this anymore. Some of you believe it fine, but you hardly ever pray. Maybe you have that down, but if anyone's noticed, you haven't served in the church for years. You are spiritually flatlined. But this morning, the resurrection story comes to you. What you thought was the end, Jesus says, may just be to be continued. New life. Being spiritually flatlined is something that happens to almost everyone who's been at faith as long as you have. But there's a new step to take. It's just not the old stuff you used to do. Keep doing the old stuff you used to do. It won't get you there anymore. You need a new step and you can find it. It is there. Your to-be-continued moment is waiting for you. So whether you're coming to this with a sense of newness, I've never experienced this before, or stale oldness, or excitement, we can all take this step together. We can all celebrate the meal of communion. Communion is a symbol Jesus left us. If the servers want to come forward and get that ready while we describe it. The first step is you'll stand up and you'll come forward. That's part of it. You stand up and you come forward. You take a step toward God and what you will find is he's waiting, in fact, rushing to you. And you come down the aisle and you tear off a piece of bread because Jesus said, this bread represents my body broken for you. And then you take that bread you've torn off and you dip it in the cup because he said, this cup is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Because faith is hard, but you're forgiven. And when you tear off that bread and dip it in the cup, you take it into yourself and you receive the to-be-continued life. For those of you who have been away from this for a long time, or maybe you've never been a part of this, but you're want to see if there's something in it for you. When you tear off a piece of bread and dip it in the chalice, there'll be round tables at the edge where several people probably will be kneeling and praying. But for you, there's a pamphlet there that says, today I want to become an authentic follower of Jesus. And the first two pages of that pamphlet are a prayer. You can pray a couple of prayers right there take hold of your to-be-continued life. And I invite you to take that pamphlet with you because the rest of the pages are things you can do this week to begin your life anew in Jesus. It's just meant to be a guide for the first seven days of your to-be-continued life. And then you come back here and see what the next step might be. So if you tear off a piece of bread and you dip it in the chalice, the cup holder will say to you, the peace of the Lord be with you. And if you like, you can say, and also with you, because a person holding that cup, faith is hard for them too. We need to be in the habit of encouraging one another. Some of you won't come forward. You um, aren't sure you're comfortable with this. Others of you just had knee surgery this week. All right, there's all kinds of reasons someone may sit. We're not here to look down at each other. Everybody's doing what they're doing the best that they can do. So whatever you want to do, come forward or stay. 
It is what it is. But let us pray, and for those of you who want to come forward and receive this symbol of the to-be-continued life, do so. Let us pray together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Come forward when you're ready. Amen. He is risen. Man, don't forget those Easter lilies. And if you've got a few moments, I'd love to shake hands and say hi. I'll be on this side as you guys get the sanctuary. If you've not gotten to meet before, I'd love to get a chance to meet you. Won't take up too much of your time. I know everybody's got places to be today. Why don't we close today reminding ourselves of the essentials of the Christian faith as we recite the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You are dismissed. May you go in peace to your to-be-continued life.